Hello and welcome to the Matt Belair podcast. As an explorer of the mind and world, author and coach, I have spent a lifetime learning how to push my limits and achieve my highest potential. My mission is to bring you the most inspiring, conscious, and empowering teachers, leaders, and thinkers on the planet. To bring you stories, lessons, and messages that will help you master your mind, body, and spirit. Thank you so much for listening, and I hope you enjoy today's episode. Good day, magnificent podcast family. I hope that wherever you are, you're doing fantastic. We have another incredible episode for you. We've got the man, Hamilton Souther, on the podcast, and we are talking about consciousness training, plant medicines, and going beyond the 3D. This is a very deep episode. Uh, Hamilton has a very diverse background. He also runs an ayahuasca center and uh, has been trained by some of the, you know, most legit shamans in Peru. So in this, we talk about Hamilton's background, uh, the do's and don'ts of taking ayahuasca, why we need to transcend our fear, creating relaxed states, flipping your senses, consciousness exercise, our consciousness training exercises. We get into Aliens, ETs, and spirits going beyond the 3D reality. Uh, we talk about a lot of deep stuff. We talk about the indigenous cultures, the Mayan, the Zuni, the Mi'kmaq, uh, the tribes in Peru. So this is a really deep episode. I know you're going to love it. If you want to support, please share this episode. Take a screenshot. Um, promote on social media and Facebook and all that kind of good stuff. But the best thing that you can do is do one act of kindness today or take the kindness challenge, three kind acts uh, out a day for a week uh, go out of your way to do it and let me know how it goes because people are having amazing experiences I want to thank so much my supporters on Patreon it helps immensely Steve Chapman and Daniel Lawson thank you guys so much you tossed a buck in the bucket um, on Patreon and it helps me do this show and uh, live and eat sandwiches so if you want to support you can go to patreon.com forward slash Matt Belair so thank you guys so very much for supporting um I want to thank my spot, my podcast partner and sponsor, the Himalaya Podcast app. They are designed for the podcast user, so you. So they're free. They're easy to use. It's a great way to navigate new podcasts, uh, to connect with podcast community, um, people who listen to the same podcast. So when you go over there, um, make sure you give the Master Mind, Body, and Spirit show a follow, and you can find them at Himalaya on the uh, podcast app stores and they are h-i-m-a-l-a-y-a so that's about it um the last thing that i'll share is that if you are interested in coaching training or speaking make an inquiry at mattbelair.com forward slash coaching or matt at zenathlete.com currently i'm working with entrepreneurs i'm also working with people who really want to take the next steps to live a life that they're passionate about to make their passions and turn them into a reality how you can actually sustain yourself doing it from a space of fulfillment so if you're looking to create a business if you're an entrepreneur who wants to learn how to level up learn about peak performance consciousness flow state all that kind of stuff um i probably have a program for you so hit me up and let me know so that's about it um let's get into this incredible episode so wherever you are in the world just stop what you're doing taking a deep breath in through your nose hold that breath 
and just let it out slowly and come to a state of peace, empowerment, coherence, and ready to take on the day and listen to this amazing episode with Hamilton Souther. Hello and welcome to the Master Mind, Body, and Spirit Show. I'm your host, Matt Belair. Today's guest is a CEO, master shaman of visionary plant medicines, and founder of Blue Morpho Shamanic Ayahuasca and Sacred Plant Retreat Center in the Peruvian Amazon. Over the last 12 years, he has meticulously studied and mapped modern mental illnesses to help thousands of his clients from around the world with depression, anxiety, drug addiction, and PTSD. He has appeared in National Geographic, Time Magazine, The New York Times, and more. Welcome from the jungle, Hamilton Souther. Well, thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be here. It's great to be on your show. Thanks for having me. Yeah, man, it's a, it's a pleasure to have you here. You've done a lot of work. Um, your background is incredibly diverse. You are somewhere deep in the jungle in Peru. So if you guys are watching this, you're going to have to be a little bit uh, patient with the internet. Um, so why don't you just tell us a little bit about your background, how you got to where you are today, and some of the things that you do. Sure. Uh, I studied anthropology at the university. And when I graduated, uh, the year after, I was looking for you know what I was going to do with my life. And I ended up having visions that were very shamanic in their context. And the visions basically said, you're going to Peru, you're going to become a shaman, uh, you're going to study some kind of shamanism. It wasn't specific, but this is your life path and direction. And so I went on a long journey to see if it would uh, end up being true or just some fantasy of the mind that was being made up. And ultimately, funny enough, in my own situation, it turned out to be true. I found shamans in the Amazon that accepted me. And they had confirmed that they had also, through their experiences, had visions of me that I was actually coming to them, and they were prepared to teach me. And I started in my early 20s a traditional indigenous shamanic apprenticeship, and that lasted a number of years. And then I was considered, at some point, graduated as a master shaman. And in that time, I developed a Blue Morpho Retreat Center, where we were holding sacred plant ceremonies for literally thousands of people from over 100 countries from all over the world. And uh, it grew, you know, we, we started very small and I started with a backpack and a machete and a dream in the jungle to connect with plant medicines and a time when uh, plant medicines weren't really known. Just a little bit here or there was talked about them, but nothing like today. And uh, it turned into an incredibly, you know, magnificent journey, both of learning the arts of how to be able to heal people with plant medicines and to be able to treat things like depression, PTSD, anxiety, and other kinds of uh, mental health concerns, especially in, you know, modern life. And ultimately business. It became a, also an experience of running a business and operating a business. And then over the years with the uh, people that we met, these incredible people that came from all walks of life, many were interested in, you know, visionary thinking and the future and what we could do about that and an impact that we could make. And so we developed a business group over the years and 
Luckily, I got the opportunity to lead that business group and branch out further than just being a plant medicine center. And now we're uh, deeply connected in renewable technologies, sustainable food production, protein production, reimagining how to use the secondary forests in the Amazon or forests where people have already come in with modern industries and have left the forest behind afterwards. And uh, we're looking into sustainable ways to be able to utilize that forest. And then I've also gotten with our, our business team involved in blockchain technologies and ways to use decentralization as a positive impact on business innovation. Quite smokes, man. That's quite a bit. Well, it seems like, uh, you know, like you said, you got into the plant medicine before it, it exploded. And I would say five years, you know, nobody knew what ayahuasca was. Now it's all over the place and there's more uh, studies and information out just about, um, say, psychedelic use like MAPS um, and other psychedelics that people are exploring to help with these um, things like depression, PTSD, uh, addictions, and so forth. There's, there's quite a bit out there. So for I've done a few podcasts on ayahuasca and you're definitely a massive expert on this. Now, over the years, what I've noticed is that there's been kind of two sides to the story. Now, now there's like, uh, you know, like anything, when it starts to get popularized, there's some negative stories that come out, maybe, um, people not having the experience that they thought there was. And then also still the positive side of what it is possible through using the medicine correctly in the right kind of way. So do you want to speak, um, just a few pieces of advice on just like some do's and don'ts if you're doing ayahuasca or if somebody's ready to um, have a plant medicine experience, what they can expect and, and why they might want to do it and why they might not. Sure. I mean, the do's are you have a specific reason to be in ceremony. You feel called. You feel like it's something that you resonate with and you're ready to kind of take that leap. You want to be with professional people who are really well trained. Uh, typical training in the Amazon to become a proficient sacred plant medicine practitioner is, or medico vegetalista, is somewhere anywhere from eight to 15 years. You, if you compare that to Western education and Western training, it's the equivalent of being a specialist in any kind of field that gets highly specialized. And so you're really looking for the best person that resonates with you and holds the same kind of intention that has the skills and ability to help deliver the experience. I think the, the practitioners or the master shamans that are the ones holding the ceremonies, especially here in the Amazon, uh, are incredibly skilled at their craft and the art that they practice. And it's, uh, it's something that's very difficult to learn, takes a lot of time and dedication. In my personal case, uh, the shamans were interested in what I would look like after having a thousand ceremonies of experience. You think about that, you know, a ceremony is a whole night. So it's a thousand nights worth of actual experience where you've spent anywhere from four to 12 hours in that state. So it's, it's countless. It's well over 10,000 hours of experience. So you want somebody incredibly experienced knowing what they're doing. Um, you also want them to be very skillful and artful in the way that they know how to hold the space and keep everybody safe through the visionary experience. You want to have uh, ayahuasca that is consistent and in terms of its potency and its delivery. And you want to be in a place where you know that it's professional and something being you know, really well orchestrated and really well organized for you. You need to have positive intentions. The 
intentions need to be about healing and personal growth and development. The elders that taught me, he was 85 when he started teaching me, told me that there were three reasons to drink if you were apprenticing. That would be to learn all forms of medicine in the spiritual sense. Ikoro medicine, which is of the chants that are sung in the ceremony that give context to the ceremony and actually create the bridge and connection between the participants and the energies from the forest that are used to be able to create the healing in the ceremony itself. And then what they call divine wisdom or divine knowledge, which is really the expansive uh, learning experience that you can have in ceremony. And for us, any intention outside of those three is just not a reason to participate in ceremony. So I think if you put together the shaman and the right ayahuasca and the right set and setting and the right people, I think you're setting yourself up for a really good ceremony. And then you want to also have that intention for your own growth and development, a life-changing experience that is going to be very positive for you. And you put all that together and those are the do's. The don'ts are literally the opposite of that uh, fly-by-night situation where people don't really know what they're doing, uh, just kind of setting it up and presenting ayahuasca like the shaman's a glorified bartender and throwing on some chants of another shaman on a CD. Uh, probably those are the absolute knots. And also to not do it in places that are illegal because it just uh, makes it much harder for every place where people are doing it legally. There's been a lot of work done by really amazing groups to be able to do this legally in various places in the world, including some places where when we started it was illegal. And so there are ways to seek out ceremonies, and I think the legality is also something that you want to be aware of. Excellent. Yeah, that's really practical, man. And I appreciate you uh, sharing that because I'll have uh, people reach out and they'll just ask me. And, and my main thing is just make sure that you are going to a place that you know the shaman is legit, that it's, you know, the environment is proper, that you're doing it the right way. This is absolutely something that you should not be messing around with. And you really, really need to be navigating this with experts. And it's an absolutely powerful experience. Um, I've sat eight times and um, I can't believe you've done a thousand. <laughs> I don't even, oh my goodness. There's just like so many questions that my mind thinks of like sitting <laughs> at a thousand because it's like a timeless space, you know, like one hour could be, you know, 48 years in there. <laughs> so <you're> sure. I was <laughs> like, oh my goodness. So my mind instantly like thinks, you know, I want to go as out there as possible. And so I'm going to just start with that. I'm just curious. What? Well, no, I'll go, I'll go there later. It's, it's one of my more out there questions. But in a, in a practical sense, um, what do you think like you've learned from, from doing all of this, like bridging the, uh, you know, the gap of being in the forest, connected with nature, plant medicine, and exploring these visionary states, these powerful experiences, almost connecting to like God and spirit and nature in a very direct way? And, and, yeah. and the Western world, you know, where we're, we're in that way of thinking of materialism and gain and like how we, how we have to survive in that world. So what have you learned from like, I don't know, as far as just like the healing process and people's mindsets, like what they're taking away or how we can bridge those two worlds together? You know, and I think that was the pursuit in the first place was looking for greater connection and a greater uh, desire to understand beyond what I was already on knowing, you know, the kind of egoic pursuits of life had their purpose, but it didn't seem like the total purpose. And for some reason, very young in my life, I had this very acute sense of death. And I don't know why, but it, it kind of eroded the 
the reason behind the egoic pursuits in the first place. I thought, well, if I'm just going to die and leave everything behind, what am I accumulating everything for? And what, what's the purpose behind that sacrifice and that struggle? And that wasn't, you know, shooing away the, the notion of success or doing well in your craft or being very professional. You know, it was on the contrary. It was looking at a very specific aspect of reality that just in my early 20s didn't really make sense to me. And I was looking for that, you know, experience that was beyond. And I wanted to understand if there was something truly beyond just the material. And what I've come away with is that, you know, ultimately the nature of consciousness is infinite. And the, our understandings of the universe are very limited. And as a species, we're still very young and evolving. And we need to embrace that evolution so much so as an individual and to transcend the fears that we have that keep us locked in very repetitive patterned ways of existing that can ultimately cause us suffering in many ways. And look to continue to open the heart as well as the mind to new modalities and new forms of understanding as a collective and as, as an individual so that we can continue to learn and grow through our lives. I think that that learning and growth is inevitable and it's also eternal in its nature and that that's something that we can all tap into. Beautiful, man. I really agree with that answer. I think it's uh, very well put. And so one of the things that I was thinking about when you're saying that is just, you know, you've done a lot of work with people with um, addictions, right? And it's like the process of, of letting go and expanding our consciousness or, or breaking out of our habitual day to day. It can be really hard, you know, people get in a rut. Um, and, and especially when you're addicted to something. So you've worked a lot with, with people with different addictions, uh, different mental health issues. Have you um, noticed any common traits or takeaways that, that someone could um, apply even without taking ayahuasca or, or with and just how they might be able to transition out of something that they're kind of stuck into? Like what have you learned about mental health and, and how to actually make permanent change? Sure. I think the, the key element to all of that and the commonality is the question of self-identity and people over time creating self-identity out of their malaise or difficulties. And I think a, a lot of these questions that we have like addiction or depression or PTSD don't come from just one single acute experience, but rather an accumulation of a lot of experiences that start to reshape the nature of how the brain functions and how the individual thinks in their own right. And then over time, because of those repetitive patterns and thinking, it's very common to get this very strong I am in language identified with that illness. You know, I am depressed all the time. I am a, an addict. I, I have this addiction. I am in, in this really self-identified way. And I think that the biggest transcendence and break is to allow yourself freedom from that identification so that you can allow the evolution to take place. So even if you were still identified, you can say, I was that thing, but now I'm changing. And then that's the first step is to break that identification so that you're not in a kind of thought loop or repetition of always identifying yourself with the problem and you can start to identify with the ability to create solution. There's lots of paths now and lots of modalities showing that the sacred plants and uh, also method-based treatments really do help and really do work. And they're not going to work if you don't allow yourself that space to transform. And so I think you first break the identification 
with the problem in its own right, and then you step forward into a transformative process, an evolutionary process, really allowing change, opening up to change, transcending the fears of change, and knowing that it is that intention and that direction that you're setting that's going to allow you to develop new patterns and new behaviors and ultimately put the depression or the addiction behind you. Awesome, man. Really great answer. Uh, I, you have a nice, very like uh, just straightforward and uh, no frills way of answering questions. It's really good. <laughs> well, Thanks. But, you know, I definitely agree with that. I think that the I am, the identity is, is so important. You know, I just am recently working through uh, psycho cybernetics. I, I listened to it on audio tape years ago and I'm just kind of going through it again. And it's just basically all about identity and how important that is and how really we're conditioned to perpetuate and and build on our identity and never thinking like oh we have an option we have a choice um and if you identify an easy way to understand it for me is like if you are overweight you know severely 300 pounds and you have an identity that you're overweight and you can't stop eating you you just gotta like start making a change whether it's your diet or um, exercise you start doing those things and you can identify uh you know say i am losing weight you know i and starting to do more fitness and whatever the case is, but with actual action over time, you're going to get a different result. And so, but I got to, it has to start with the change of thinking and then putting a little bit of a action piece together to start building some momentum. It's going to be challenging, but you know, like it's, it's those repeated things over time, but it definitely has to start in the mind. So there was something sent in the, in the notes that I got when we were going to do the interview, I thought that was really interesting is, um, elite consciousness training like what is that and also just the exploration of consciousness in general because it's such a fascinating topic where you know part of part of that research for me was in meditation tibetan buddhism um, things like astral projection um, you know the subconscious mind hypnosis in experimenting with all those different things and when you have a lucid dream and then you're able to do it um, repeatedly that was like my the easiest and quickest way that I had a different like experience of consciousness, like being lucid, um, but it's not my regular waking consciousness. Then another idea would be like a lot of people wake up and their regular consciousness is like their tasks. Um, they might be a little bit um, depressed or they might be a little bit anxious or they might be a little bit worried all the time where they get up and they run their pattern, they go to their jobs, they're doing all these different things and they, <clears throat> they believe that's the only consciousness available. And so when you meditate a little bit, you realize just in the meditation that that stream of consciousness kind of just goes by. So now we're exploring with different um, states of being. And so many people are locked into one state of being. Now, when you explore the ayahuasca realm, which I've had experience, I've had, done the ayahuasca, I've had a uh, DMT experience. Um, I've also had very profound experiences in meditation. Um, they weren't as prolonged, but then that experience shatters all of just this regular reality, just whatever my waking consciousness is. It just breaks it into, into something I can't even fathom. So if you're doing that on a daily basis, I'm just curious your thoughts on consciousness in general, um, what a high quality of consciousness might be, uh, enlightenment and uh, elite consciousness training, some ways to train your mind um, to explore more powerful states of consciousness. So I know I said a lot there. I wanted to, I just wanted to bulldoze you with a bunch of stuff for you to pick out what you wanted and, and feel is important to share. 
Sure. Uh, you know, in my own situation, I was drinking ayahuasca anywhere from 100 to 130 times a year. And so, uh, you know, it, was, it brought forth the understanding of consciousness in a very real way. Like you're saying, having this earth shattering, mind shattering experience, I was having it all the time. And I would drink in ceremonies in a long series of ceremonies. So not just, you know, one day and then a break and then another day, but sometimes I would drink, uh, you know, eight days, nine days in a row. And in the longest that I ever drank was 40 days straight. And uh, yeah. <laughs> my God. <laughs> yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. And so I was training in consciousness. <laughs> so I was, I was in a training. I mean, you have to put it in context that I was living in a very, uh, you know, really subsistence off grid indigenous kind of lifestyle while I was training. And uh, I was deep in the forest. We were very far away from modern amenities and we were living off the land and engaging with the plants on a regular basis. And that provided a rich place to have these experiences. One, uh, the forest is a great insulator from the rest of the world and also other people. So it allows you to go on these very large explorations without it, you know, conf making you confront so much of the other aspects of life that you have in like an urban setting or something. But I was really interested in these in these experiences, and as soon as I started to have them, it was odd and how important they were. And so, over the years of training like that, and I trained like that for over a decade, so I was in this state of working with the plant medicines, you know, for over a decade uh, at that frequency of use, and and deep in this idea of, of how you advance in the mystical practices and in the shamanic arts and the Amazon to really be a better practitioner, to be able to heal people with uh, more capacity, and also a notion of just that, that personal growth and that striving to just be better at something that you truly love and to reach your own pinnacle of capacity within that. And I think that's the same with any other kind of endeavor. But, uh, you know, I, I was having these experiences that were so mind-expanding over and over and over and over again that it started to make me really become aware of consciousness, not just be an expression of that consciousness, but also really aware of it as its own palpable uh, medium. And I started to look at consciousness through the lens that it's a synthesis of perception. And once that perception is synthesized, the notion of boundary and barrier to it is gone. And, you know, like you said, ayahuasca can be like one minute, can be like 40 years. And, uh, you know, one center centimeter can be like light years, you know. And so uh, the, the beauty in that was that I was able to do a lot of experience and, and have a lot of time in that synthesis of perception and really study it. And so I, I got really interested in consciousness and altered states of consciousness and how illness was an expression of consciousness and how the brain and mind got patterned to that consistent and repetitive way of utilizing this incredible tool that we know of as the brain. And, uh, you know, I realized consciousness was really this this really misunderstood or not yet fully be alive in the modern sense experience as a collective globalized civilization. And it was something that needed more direct study. And so I got really interested in the focus on consciousness itself. And that included for me the exploration of logic and intellectual thinking, as well as imagination 
physical sensation and feelings themselves and how we as individual beings synthesize these magnificent experiences that we're having all of the time and looking at how we could bring in more of that experience instead of shutting it down. I had heard of this scientific study that said we were shutting out trillions of stimulus a second and I was interested in seeing how we could bring more of that stimulus in, how we could open our senses to be able to assimilate more of it and turn it into a cohesive expression in our life. Through those pursuits, you know, kind of going deeper into your, your question, I came to this idea of training consciousness, not just being consciousness and experiencing it, not just having the mind and experiencing that, but actually really training in consciousness itself. And then that's where I got into the idea of elite consciousness and elite consciousness training, this uh, idea of programs that were based on how to be able to work with consciousness uh, with and without purpose of being able to utilize your consciousness in a, a more cohesive and also more expanded way. I saw it as an infinite tool of being alive, especially in a competitive world where we were all striving to do our best in our own way. And that if we uh, trained our consciousness, that that would be the, the equivalent, uh, you know, the same reasons that you go to school to train the mind and to develop the mind in all of these different ways. And I just saw consciousness as one step beyond that of the mental training. I saw the mental training as one component or one aspect of training your overall consciousness. And uh, that if you did that, it would be the most beneficial thing you could possibly ever do in your life. It was just so obvious to me that if you empowered your consciousness and you awakened all the different ways that you utilize the brain and mind and perceive and could bring a cohesive way of uh, utilizing that, that you would have a, a kind of reach or a skill beyond that of the people around you. And I was working with people in business, executives and uh, entrepreneurs, and they were looking for that edge, that thing that could, could push them to the next level so that they could you know, ultimately utilize that for the benefit of, of their businesses and their pursuits. And so I was, you know, helping people learn how to really assimilate their consciousness, expand their consciousness, and do it in a way that was uh, based on methods that would bring consistent results, you know, a dynamic source of growth for people interested in utilizing that for their, their overall well-being. Wow. Well, I certainly agree with the idea that training your consciousness is probably the most beneficial thing that you can do personal development uh just exploring the mind exploring your capabilities exploring your perceptions realities beliefs and all that kind of thing can you share a couple of uh, practices that that you employ or you share with people when you're when you're doing this Yeah, sure. I think one of the first practices are relaxation-based practices. And the first goal in them is to not create a false state of relaxation, but actually a really deep state. And in that state, the idea is to flip the awareness of your senses to being fully receptive. So the idea is that you're assimilating your vision through stimuli that come in through the, the mind and, and through or are assimilated and created by the mind, but ultimately through the brain. And so the light's coming in through the eyes, the sound waves are coming in as vibrations through the entirety of your body. You're hearing them through these little hairs in your ears that create these uh, impulses to the brain. You're having this physical sensation of uh, the body, the mass of your body, gravity itself. And then one by one, flipping each one of those senses into a receptive state. And then being in a receptive state, starting to calm down and find that really deep state of relaxation. 
So that's one of the, the beginning tools that we use. So to recognize that the brain and the mind and the body is where that synthesis is happening. Even if I'm seeing trees and plants all around me, they're, they're not just out there. The vision of them is happening within me. It's happening within the, the visual cortex of the brain and becoming very aware of that notion of receptivity to the vibrations and the energies and the stimuli around me. And then uh, another one is to bring the, the experience of the, the brain and the mind from being in a state of dominance over that experience of consciousness to actually being in a receptive and balanced state with the rest of the organal systems of the body. So you do meditations or sacred plants with the intention to bring an absolute balance and harmony between the brain, all of the sensory organs, the throat, the heart, the internal organs, and then the rest of the body so that the the body is being used as like a, a really big ground and supportive structure for the ability of the brain and mind to think. It's, it's very common for people to start to experience a very dissociated experience of thought where it's all brain or it's all mind and it's all the thoughts themselves. And, you know, an hour can go by driving and not even remember that you were driving or you can be on a computer without being aware of what's going on around you. And so the goal there is to learn how to be able to maintain that sense of uh, unified focus, but also within that still maintaining that receptivity to the stimuli that are around you and then opening and awakening awareness. Awesome. Yeah, that sounds excellent. Um, I'm definitely going to try those. Very practical too. And I think that the fundamental teaching of just when you said uh, get into a relaxed state, but but an actual relaxed state. I think that that from that state, that's where you can start to really explore consciousness, uh, yourself, your internal dialogue and begin like kind of programming your consciousness or understanding it to another level. You have to be able to do that basic thing. So if you're not at that level yet, you know, there's lots of different ways to do it, but learn how to relax your mind and your body. It's so important. So this is where I wanted to kind of throw a few things at you just to see, um, you know, what your perspective is. Um, I've worked with three Na Native Americans. Uh, one of them is a Mi'kmaq, one of them is a Zuni, and one of them is a Mayan. And I was recently in uh, Guatemala to call for a Mayan fire ceremony. Um, and I was spending a lot of time with Carlos Barrios. And um, they've been very, very fascinating people to communicate with, to learn about their history, because um, their history isn't really in books. They haven't really shared it. And um, one of the things that Carlos told me, he's just like, you know, we actually have 20 senses. So that was one of the things that he said. And I know that when you do ayahuasca, um, any reality becomes now a possibility and you might actually experience it directly. And then you're just like, oh, okay, that's interesting. Didn't know that was possible. Um, and you come back and you kind of have this knowing now. So I was curious about um, if, if the people that you're with would talk about, you know, some people will say like, oh, we're going from the third dimension to the fifth dimension. And these are some skills and we're going to have maybe your, your third eyes going to be turned on. Maybe we have telepathy. Uh, maybe we have senses we don't know about. Like uh, maybe a dolphin is like a, the one of the analogies that I use is like humans, I think are dolphins conditioned to think, believe we're goldfish. So we actually have sonar, we have all these different skills, we just don't know how to use them yet. And we're still very young in our development and understanding. So I'm curious if, if what you've um, experienced, if you think it's leading towards anything like that, or if you think that's a little bit more of uh, just hype and, and not, not grounded in uh, factual information. 
Oh, well, you touched on a lot of pieces there. <laughs> yeah, take, take what you wish. I think that, uh, I think that, you know, it, yeah, sure. Uh, the, the, the study of extraordinary capacities is really what it's all about. So I remember the first weeks being with Alberto and Julio when we would part after being together for a couple weeks uh, together. And they would say, call me if you need me to each other. Yet they both lived in places without phones. And so I was like, wait, my whole life I've told my friends to call me, but we had phones. These guys are saying, call me if you need me, but they don't have phones. You know, and so uh, that was my first taste of that idea of telepathy. And, and that was a foreign concept for me, but just the, the idea that it could exist was enthralling, you know? And um, I at first kind of shrugged it off like, oh, sure, you know, call me if you need me, I'll be there for you, whatever. But then I started to have experiences of that literally over and over and over where Alberto would call Julio or Julio would call Alberto and they would end up having a connection and talking. And then when I was brought fully into my apprenticeship in the first ceremony that they initiated me, I went through this tunnel of light in the vision and it was full on. I mean, it was 10 out of 10 intense. I started to black out. I thought I was probably going to die. I didn't know what was happening, you know, and all of a sudden it came to this point of black. I was screaming inside. I wasn't making any sound outside, but inside me, I was just like, ah, you know, and then just silence. And then the lights clicked on. And when that happened, I had uh, Alberto right here, literally inside my head. And I had Julio literally right here inside my head. And I thought this can't be uh, Julio passed me a cigarette. I thought it. I, I didn't, you know, the, the shamans and ceremonies, a lot of tobacco. And um, it's kind of a normal thing. So uh, I said, hey, Julio, like, you know, pass me a, a cigarette. And I thought it. I didn't say it. And he laughed, ha, 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 and handed me one. You know, and so that was my beginning experiences with those kinds of, of concepts, you know, and I haven't counted how many senses we have. We don't have like a map or a codification of that. But the idea of being extrasensory more than just the fixated senses, I think, is very real. Uh, you know, telepathy is real. The ability for people to be in that state is real. Maintaining it all the time when you're in like a normal Western mindset, it's, it's not the same state of consciousness. And so, you know, that, that's very different. But in ceremonies, you hear of people having it all the time. And I, I started over the years in that exploration of consciousness, really asking myself and the universe to, you know, where's our really cool stuff? Like humans, where's, where's the humans really cool stuff? If dolphins have, you know, these extraordinary capacities and bats have these extraordinary capacities, you know, what's our extraordinary capacities and how are we utilizing them? And I, I came to realize that we had all of those capacities. It wasn't that we were limited in that sense, but rather we just had utilized them to create the linguistics and create the mind and create mathematics and create these other forms of understanding that are unique to us. And we had actually used our ability to understand sonar to, to end up developing it as a technology. And we use LIDAR to understand ourselves and to orient in 3D um, I don't think 3D is the reality that we're in. I think we're in a multi-D reality and we, in terms of our consciousness, utilize the mind that is based in dimensional understandings to orient ourselves. And most people are oriented in a front, back, left, right, up, down uh, 
form. So if you point, you know, what's that direction? They tell you front. But if you go into outer space and you look back at the Earth, you're going to see that humanity is oriented in a very different way than front, back, left, right, up, down. That's a linguistic way of orienting yourself within the reflection of light and this incredible kind of ever-swarming expression of of the atomic earth itself. And we've created this very rigid fixation on that. And because of that, we've come to think collectively that that is describing reality. But I fundamentally don't think it is. I think it's our way that we're describing reality. And then if we do things like apply our science and our physics to our reality, and we apply our, our greater understandings of the universe that we have to our daily reality, we start to see that there's a lot more going on. Like all the data and those other trillion stimulus that we're, we're pushing out so that we can maintain that front, back, left, right, up, down orientation is really a much more multi-D phenomena. And we collectively haven't evolved into it yet. I believe that that evolution is taking place. I don't think it's based on any one messianic figure. I don't think that it, it's, uh, you know, the great enlightenment like other people talk about. I really see it more in a grounded kind of very long-term evolutionary path. I really like evolutionary biology. And so I, to the mystical concepts, I always balance them with, with these other ways of thinking as well so that I myself don't fly into flights of fancy and I can stay grounded with all of the sacred plants that we use because it's very easy with them to become you know, hyper-conceptual and imaginary about things, and in some cases even delusional about it, which is the exact opposite of what you want from a practitioner. You want them to actually be rational and grounded and know what they're doing when they're working with you. And so we tap into that multi-D all the time. And in evolutionary biology, we see that compared to lots of other species throughout history, our species is very young. It's very, very young. You know, we have evidence somewhere in the, you know, in the anthropological record of four, maybe 280, 350, 400, 450,000 years ago. Even if you pushed it to a million, two million years ago, you know, that's nothing compared to like the dinosaurs. The dinosaurs were here of the earth as the dominant vertebrate, meaning animal with a spinal column for, you know, over 150 million years. And for all different theoretical reasons, they perished 66 million years ago, give or take. You know, they're part of the evolution of Earth as well. Life is evolving from this cell that has been continuously evolving until now, and we're part of that evolution. And, you know, that's where I see that we're awakening still to the totality of what Earth is and what life is. And, you know, there are a lot of people that are more closed-minded or they have very strong beliefs about the nature of reality. And there are others who, who feel different about that. And the other people are the ones that are continuing to explore these ideas and ask these questions. And I really think that that's how evolution works. I think that there's millions and millions of people that are, billions of people that are part of the nature of this evolution and thought and evolution and exploration beyond that of just a, a very rigid, very predetermined notion of life itself. And uh, that's where I see this understanding of the extraordinary and the extrasensory taking place. And that's where concepts like the third eye move from being mystical and of a, just a few to ultimately becoming, uh, you know, very widespread understanding amongst many people. 
even just 20 years ago, you, you didn't hear of all of the experiences you hear of people having now. I think that's a natural part of globalization as well as a natural part of opening up to the mystical. Uh, for many, many years, we were you know, as people isolated from each other. And I think what's beautiful about globalization and the digital evolution of the planet is that it allows the planet to really be an intermixing of culture, which then allows the mind to develop and evolve even more. And so I see that on a, a massive scale, not on a, a minimal scale. And I don't have any idea for how long it's going to ultimately take for those kinds of things to become just common, but I do think that the species is headed in a direction of that continued growth and awakening, and that we're going to continue to utilize our skills in uh, more advanced ways. And I see that in science, I see it in mystics, I see it in shamans, I see it really in all different kinds of people from around the world. And I think it's also uh, demonstrative in that understanding of having people come and find us from all over the world. We're just here in the Amazon. You know, it's a very isolated place where we live. And it, it turns out that by embracing technology and, and putting out retreat dates and people come and have experience with us. We have uh, 29 people with us now at the lodge having these experiences and they literally come from everywhere and from all walks of life and all looking to the plants for different reasons. And I think that that's naturally evolutionary. Amazing, man. Uh, I think you, you've stated all that wonderfully and uh, very grounded for somebody who's done that much ayahuasca. Because like you said, yeah, especially if someone's done it for like the first time, of, I don't know, like the weekend ayahuascas, maybe it's just like they'll do it, you know, twice. And then all of a sudden they're like in the clouds and you got to ground it out. You know, they got this period of time and it's, it's a part of it because it's an extremely powerful experience. So uh, very, very grounded answer. And I certainly agree with with a lot of those perspectives. Um, and I really like the idea that uh, it's a slower process. I kind of thought when I was getting into a lot of this stuff and reading a lot and experimenting a lot and also having some direct experiences that were very profound. And I was like, Oh, cool. Well, when fifth dimension comes or my third eye turns on, it's going to be a, t or I reach enlightenment. It's going to be a whole new experience. Like it's just going to be hunky dory. I'm going to be like, you know, Jesus Christ walking. It's going to be fantastic. I'm going to be able to <laughs> you know, like, like phone call my buddy with my mind and it's all going to be wonderful. And, and over time, as I've gotten older and the beard has gotten longer, um, I've realized that it's probably going to be a slow process, a whole lifetime to learn maybe just a few simple things. Um, and so if I can go about it with a little bit more contentment, a little bit more peace, a little bit more meaning, a little bit more uh, um, purpose, you know, that's, and you do that consistently, that's really where you're going to get those benefits, like long-term practices and understanding and just you know i wanted to rush it all so um you opened up a a couple ideas for me and i wanted to kind of dive deeper on a few concepts and just wondering where you stand on it did you watch the um I, i'm sure someone's asked you this but the alex jones and joe rogan podcast did you hear the stuff that alex jones was saying no, actually, I didn't yet. No, I've seen it online, but I actually haven't haven't seen it. What? Give me the ideas, and then I'll field them. Okay, yeah, just bonkers. Okay, so basically, what uh, Alex Jones was saying, and he's interesting because Alex Jones is an interesting guy, and I don't believe everything he says for sure. However, um, I'm aware of the a lot of the stuff he talked about um, organ harvesting. He talked about, um, you know, and I worked on something called the International Tribunal for Natural Justice, which I invite people to check out, and they're actually actively um, pursuing 
you know, creating a solution for what's happening there. So just really dark stuff on the planet. But basically one of the concepts near the end, one of my friends was asking me about was uh, using uh, psychedelics, ayahuasca and DMT to communicate with beings. And he said that high level government officials um, in Russia and all over the planet apparently are doing high um, amounts of DMT and, and whatever forms they're doing could be ayahuasca. I'm not really sure to communicate with actual ETs and aliens and things like that. Um, so I've heard a lot of stories, you know, from Terrence McKenna and other people, even Joe Rogan saying, you know, I'm on the DMT and all of a sudden I'm communing with the elf people or whatever these types of beings are. So, um, and then, and then to add a little bit more context to it, um, when I was speaking to the Mayan elder, the Zuni elder, and the Megama elder, all three of them believe in what they call star travelers. They don't call them like ETs, like, yeah, they did come here, but like, they think they're more indigenous. Like, they're indigenous, so like, they belong here just like a skunk belongs here, or a moose, or whatever. Um, you're just not perceiving them, and it's not in your history. Um, they all had an a oral history that was 20,000 years, um, all passed down. And when I would speak to them individually, there was a lot of correlations. One of the interesting things the Mayan elder said to me when I was in Guatemala, he was talking about the lost Mayan civilization. He said, well, we, we knew that the, the people were coming, so they just flipped dimensions or something. And I was like, what? He says, like, yeah, when you have an understanding like that, you can just go to a different uh, blip in space. When I'm talking to the uh, Mi'kmaq elder, uh, he's a scientist and a mathematician, and he was explaining something similar um, about visiting his grandpa who had passed and how that there's these dimensional slips. And, and he showed me like an hour about how time worked, and it was really interesting. But he was kind of saying the same thing in a little bit of a different way. So they all had understanding of these concepts. And also the final thing I'll say just for – me trying to wrap my head around it is I wrote, I read a book called Mad Bear um, about a guy following around a Native American elder in the 80s and um, telling him the stories and, and this Mad Bear uh, person saying, yeah, um, there's the little people. They're in our cultures, little, little people. And um, he's like, I have a skeleton and shows the guy a skeleton. Well, fast forward on one of my podcasts, David shares a story. I don't know if it was on mine or I was listening to one of the lectures he did, but he talked about when he was hunting and he was all covered in snow and he'd been there for hours trying to get a moose. Um, and he saw one of the little people and he's just like, I've never taken a psychedelic. I've never drank in my life. I've never done any of those things. He's just like, that's what I saw. He's like, we've heard about him, but I'd never seen one before. So all that being said, feel free to comment on whatever you wish. <laughs> Wow. Wow. Okay. All right. We're going to start to pick all of that apart. Okay. Uh, first of all, let's, let's bring it to a place that's easier to relate to. And uh, let's see, let's, let's talk about the idea in ayahuasca shamanism that the plants themselves are made up of beings like that. And so in the mythology of the ayahuasca shamanism in the Amazon, the reason why shamans work with other plants than just the ayahuasca, like the trees, is to be able to work with their spirits. And what they mean by spirit is the, an entity version of the plant coming to them in vision and having an experience. And uh, in the visionary space and the state where that's happening, it can be eyes wide open or closed. So you can be sitting there and you know your eyes are open and you're seeing these luminescent beings walking around. And in my own experience, I remember in my training period of time when we would be visited by beings like that. And 
they would literally be inside the house with us and I would be petrified scared <laughs> of what this thing was inside the house. But ultimately they ended up being benign and, uh, and totally fine. But it would be like being in a place with no electricity and then seeing as if a light bulb was going on and off inside a room and then going to the room and seeing a being standing there with that being the source of the light itself. And then uh, the being seeing us and then realizing it had been noticed by us and then leaping through the wall and then running around the house and other people totally sober as well, seeing these kinds of things. And that in the Amazon was considered totally normal. That was not considered outside of normal. So that right there was just mind-blowing for me, right? That, that that's a normal experience here in the Amazon. And then when you're, when you're experiencing the... Uh, these, these ideas, these little people, they also have a mythology here for these dwarf spirits and, or these dwarf entities. And they're literally everywhere. They have little communities and their own little civilizations. And uh, they're not visible to, the, to your eye normally. You could walk right through it. And they think it's really funny that humans can't see them. And so that's just like something that they totally think is really, really funny. I don't know why, but it's part of their, their game. And so I've realized that people in our ceremonies have seen this over and over and over again. And then uh, a long time ago, funny enough, you know, one, even though we, we tell guests to please not, you know, interrupt the life of the spirits, they're here to help us and support us. But ultimately, uh, you can have a very individualized interaction with them. Uh, one approached uh, a female guest of ours about 15 years ago and uh, told her that she, he, the, the entity really wanted to go back with her to New York. And, uh, and so she actually took it back with her. And so she thought nothing was going on, right? She literally like, oh, this is just a vision. Sure, come back with me to New York. She made that agreement. And then we got an email a week after the tour saying, uh, I go to work and I come back and my apartment is tossed. Like, like, you know, if somebody came in and turned everything over, like a huge party happened in her apartment like lamps over, furniture over, clothing out of the dressers, things out of the refrigerator. And she's saying, what could possibly be causing this? And I said, I don't know. I mean, did you by any chance take one of these entities with you, one of these little dwarves? And she's like, yeah. And I said, well, I told you not to do that. That's <laughs> really not a good idea to do. Send that thing back. She's like, I don't know how. So I said, okay, look, at next ceremony, we'll go there spiritually and pull it back and bring it back to the Amazon. So that's another experience of things like that, that, you know, I think is very foreign to, to somebody who's never had those kinds of experiences. And those are considered of the forest. They're considered of the local mythology. They're considered in the oral history, like you're talking about. And then uh, I can, you know, touch on this idea of talking to the ancestors. And there's a kind of ancestral spirit that's found in the forest that goes by the name of a Tunchi. And the it's a local name for it, but basically it's a, it's a person who's passed on that's still here and, and hasn't gone somewhere else. Let's just say that. So they're still of the earth. They're in an embodied spirit form and uh, they whistle and they make a very distinct whistle. And when you learn to hear them, you hear the whistle and people who, who don't know it think it's a bird and the shamans know that it's not a bird, that it's really this thing they call a tunchi. But what's important about the whistle is that that's what they use to get another shaman's attention, wherever that shaman is in the world, to be able to make that telepathic connection and have that conversation. And so I like to think of it like a ringtone. And so, 
So they literally will find a Tunji that they've made a good relationship with that makes the whistle. And then they'll send the Tunji to wherever that other shaman is. And then the, the Tunji will go, it will appear where the shaman is, it will whistle, the shaman will hear it and know, oh, I need to tune in and answer whoever's calling me. And then they'll tune in, they'll go into concentration, and they'll say like, oh, it's Don Alberto calling me, or oh, it's Don Julio calling me. And uh, they actually utilize these spirits in these ways, and it's you know, very, very common. Very common to use them in that way, and it's part of the, the visionary mythology, and it ends up becoming something that is a shared experience amongst many practitioners and really common knowledge. So I think that covers the idea of these entities and having experience with them. In the ceremonies, uh, we utilize the spirits of the plants and we call to them in chants as a way of creating a relationship between the participant and the plant energy or the plant spirit so that those spirits can come and actually impart the medicine or the healing on the, the participants. And so the way an ayahuasca practitioner practices in the Amazon is they literally develop this incredibly strong relationship with the plants by taking them themselves and being in visionary states with them to the point that they have a form of communication and the ability to call. And they call that, that uh, communication ikaro. So they have a name for it. So it's so common that they actually have a name for it. And it's a series of chants that you learn literally from the plants themselves during your training. So you go into these visionary states and you start to develop a relationship with the plant by focusing on the plant and explaining to the plant why you're interested in learning. And when the plant accepts you, the plant will impart to you this chant. And it's a way of being able to invoke and call that energy or that spirit to your ceremony. When that energy arrives, people will see it in their visions. The geometry of the visions will change. Entities will appear that, that uh, represent and reflect that spirit. And uh, people will have visions of the entities themselves. And through that experience, they actually receive the healing. And so it's, it's a, you know, a fascinating expression of spiritual medicine as a means of creating an acute physical mental change for somebody over a very short period of time, including cracking different kinds of disorders that are considered incurable and providing an actual form of solution by an interaction that is facilitated from the shaman with those entities or with those spirits. And I know that that's super foreign if you've never had the experience, but it's, it's so common that there's an entire field of Amazonian study amongst the indigenous and, and locals about it. And so I think it's something that has to just be accepted at face value. It's not just a hallucination. It's something that's repetitive and common over and over and over and over again. And it's ultimately why the mythologies came into existence in their own right. And then in, in terms of anybody experimenting with these plants and with these substances and trying to extend into the spiritual and the mystical for capacities and powers, whether that be uh, individuals or institutions or governments, I think that people in general uh, seek and pursue really whatever's driving them. And the plants can be used and the substances can be used for literally any reason. It's not that they themselves specifically have their own reasons. Humans bring reason to them. And, you know, I've heard of all these different stories of different people from different times, you know, uh, utilizing the plants for different reasons. And, you know, I honestly don't know what government 
instruments or what other people are, are using them for, but it doesn't surprise me. I've heard of all the same things. And, um, I've heard of utilizing mysticism and utilizing shamans as part of the way that they maintain control in their society itself. And I think that that's very similar to how you utilize belief systems and ideologies to maintain a culture or maintain control anyway. Uh, you know, you touched on the idea of, you know, the more nefarious aspects of human life. And to that, I just think that people need to wake up from the dream of their naivete the world is filled with really intense and really sketchy things. The world is at war with itself. And as part of that war, anything that can be economy is turned into economy. And uh, here in the Amazon, it's unfortunate, but there is an extensive black market in organ trading and organ stealing, and uh, enough so that there's government propaganda against it, and people being told that if you hear about it to turn people in, and uh, people actually crossing borders to kidnap uh, for the purpose of organ stealing. And it's a tremendous uh, tragedy, uh, travesty happening, and something that hopefully, uh, you know, institutions and people with the right kinds of powers can hopefully make an impact on. Holy crap, man. You end with that? Jeepers, creepers. That was a lot. Of, that was some mind-blowing stuff there, man. Um, <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, okay, hold on. Let me just take a breath here. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> <laughs> Holy crap. Uh, <laughs> well, so one of the things we were talking about, like the entities, this is where I see um, the religious people, right? Because you're talking about uh, – I like the way you, you're able to um, – speak about it the words you use you know framing and culture because religious religions are a religious institution there are many there are many there are over 200 uh at the parliament of world religions and their i their ideas their face and they go with you know different ideologies and they're and they're perpetuated in different ways not to say that they're right or wrong or true or not true that's not what i'm saying i'm just understanding how they work and they exist um so a lot of the world is still Catholic, Christian, Muslim, things like that. And in the Bible, it will talk about spirits and entities and uh, Satan and hell and all that kind of um, stuff. So when you're talking about entities and stuff, um, do you like? Do you believe it in the way that in in a religious person might understand it, like in a, in a different way? Like, do you think so? You know, people are actually asking me. I get emails. Uh, constantly about there's an entity on me i need to get rid of them and um my response is normally like you're more powerful than any entity you know talk to your higher power pray ask for it to leave um usually that works and i get an email back and they say hey that worked i was like remember you're more powerful than that thing um but also people's beliefs could also, you know, they watch something and then something happens and it might be just a product of their own mind. That's also possible. But when we're talking about these different realms, you know, these entities or these beings, good or bad, I think, you know, do you think that they exist? And then the last kind of comment is that kind of goes towards the God question. You know, do you believe in a God or a spirit or a force? Um, because I know that when I've had DMT experiences like um, like naturally induced through meditation, I assume that's what it is because it's it was similar to an ayahuasca experience where I felt like it was a direct experience of nature, God, the universe in a way that I, I just – there's no way I could put it into words. It was just unbelievably profound and uh, like a direct connection and like any kind of label or structure to connect with that thing seemed ludicrous. Like I would need to go 
pray for this amount of times and believe this thing to be connected to that divine source that which I experienced directly. Um, so I'm just going to leave it at that and just get your feedback. Still with me? Sure. I mean, I think Got if it. you work with people from around the world, you ultimately are introduced to all different ways of thinking. Yeah, can you hear me? So yeah, I think you're you're uh, introduced to all different kinds of thinking and all different kinds of mythologies and uh, religious backgrounds. And the question around entities and dark forces and uh, negative energies and negative forces and things like that, I think that they're clearly part of our collective mythology. They're part of our collective consciousness. Um, whether they exist in a realm that's totally independent of humans, we don't know. So there's always an interaction with a human when it comes to these questions of dark entities. And uh, I like to think of the, the forms of entities that we find in ceremonies and in these explorations of consciousness as being part of the primordial shapes or the primordial forms of consciousness itself. And they're not out of the history of the universe. They're part of the universe. And so, uh, you know, I think that, that different institutions and different belief systems have tried to conceptualize and encapsulate the understanding of these energies and the understanding of these entities and then provide a context for them for other people to either understand or fear or study or uh, try to prohibit and stay away from. But ultimately, a big part of ayahuasca healing is helping people release their own psychomagical, mythological, negative connection to those kinds of spirits or to those kinds of entities. And so you're, you actually create a field of energy in the ceremony that is designed to be of a kind of energy that helps people release their interconnection and uh, interrelationship in their own consciousness with those patterns and with those forms. And uh, it's actually something that's really important to the indigenous healing methods. Um, if you bring in Christian mythology and understandings, then it takes on another context. And that context is obviously deeply ingrained in consciousness and in the planet and in belief systems. And it's something that's still very important to the world, both in the form of fear and also in the form of, uh, uh, the beliefs around what those energies or what those spirits are about and, and often spoken about in really negative ways. You know, there, there's this idea that it's tremendously negative. There's this idea of entity, this evil that's associated with it. And, um, I think that, like I said, those are, are primordial aspects of our own consciousness that are coming out and being identified. And then they're being ultimately, like you say, this higher power, this greater, this, uh, this totality of spirit, this totality of power that you represent is stronger than all of those concepts of those entities. It's a very rare situation that you ever find somebody that has had that relationship completely flipped on them. And that's a situation where somebody is actually really possessed. They truly are possessed. And... They need to have an experience that is typically called an exorcism. It's very, very rare. 
that that ever has happened. I've only met, you know, a handful of people in my life that ever that kind of intervention and uh, it's only the most specialized of people are allowed or even this they're part and parcel religious institutions have a role each person has in terms of dealing with those countries now uh, i think that the universe is by its own nature whole it's complete it's not lacking anything it's constantly evolving and it's made up of what we call energy and we interact with that energy in the form of light and in the form of matter and um i think that it's continuously creating it's not just the universe is created but rather it's continuously creating there's all sorts of kinds of uh, amazing astral formations like quasars that actually create spiral galaxies there are spiral galaxies that are are being birthed right now there are spiral galaxies that are in the process of coming to an end of their life force and life form right now and uh one of the most amazing experiences in my life that i had was when Hubble started to, the space telescope started to see and find and map lots of other galaxies that were unknown because I used to love to astral project in ayahuasca ceremonies and spend really a lot of time in what people would call outer space. And I used to sing of the thousands and thousands and tens of thousands and thousands of spiral galaxies. And I would see them in vision and know that we didn't have any science for them yet. And then years later, bam, there's the science for what I had been seeing in vision. And um, I think, like I said, we're still discovering the universe. And the universe is that force that is being referred to in the divine way. I think universe is divine. I think it's a matrix of a, an infiniteness that we're still trying to understand and that we are part and parcel of that eternity. Wow, man. A beautiful answer. And every time you speak and give me an answer, I think about new questions. So this one is a little bit more direct. It, um, when you are doing ayahuasca now, is it more lucid? Like when you first start to lucid dream, you pop in and then you pop out and you remember a little bit. I know that in my experiences in ayahuasca, I'm there and it's like I'm understanding everything. It's making perfect sense and it's all going in and I'm getting the lessons and I'm getting the information and I understand it. Then as I start to come down, whenever the end of the ceremony is, is done and I'm starting to come back to regular life, I almost every time I'm like, just let me remember one thing because it's so far beyond the mind. It doesn't communicate in any of that kind of language. And I just want to be able to like grab my notebook and said, like ayahuasca said, you know, do 50 pull-ups a day and eat uh, Cheerios and you're going to have a much better health. And, you know, it doesn't work like that. You can't, you know? And so I'm just like, just let me remember one thing. So after you do so many uh, experiences like you have, are you able to walk around in that space with a higher level of consciousness? Because for me, it's like riding a wild bull in which I have no chance of kind of, I have to just like surrender and I'm off, off for a ride and that's just what's going down. Yeah, I, mean, I don't know. I would call it a higher state of consciousness. Uh, I think maybe it's a little more humble than that. But, you know, the first thing is that 
after a lot of ayahuasca ceremonies, I know it's really hard to, to believe it if you've had the experience and you know how thunderous it is. And when I had my first experience, I never thought I would be able to even manage in ceremony, let alone like actually harness it. But you learn how to harness the totality of the ayahuasca like a fuel source. And so that, that tremendous power that it gives pretty much becomes like rocket fuel. And uh, when it comes on, it's really intense and you have to learn how to relax through it, kind of like a big rocket ship shaking as it's taking off, you know? And uh, Alberto and I used to joke that that was our concept of a commute. That 15, 20 minutes in ceremony was us commuting. You know? <laughs> like, that's us stuck in traffic and then, and then the traffic releasing and going somewhere. And so uh, you, you learn to harness all of that power to be able to sing the Icaros and maintain the trance and maintain the connection with the spirits and maintain that, that two-way communication that's going on and maintain the connection with the entirety of the ceremony. And to also put it into context, you have to be in a state of consciousness where you can guide, you know, the number of people that are in ceremony simultaneously. And so you really have to be in an expanded state of mind and an expanded state of understanding. You cannot see the room as a form of separation and individualization. You have to take it in a whole other form of concept. And the shamans have ways of doing that by uh, connecting each the, the guests to themselves and maintaining channels of communication with them that are completely clairvoyant and telepathic in their nature, and then utilize those channels to be able to communicate. And then there's also ways to be able to treat the, the entire ceremony as just a giant field of energy that you're working with that field and uh, know that there's individualized people in consciousness within that field and then guide and direct the energies and spirits to them. And so that level of expansion is something that ultimately doesn't go away. You know, and I think the, the simplest demonstration for it are the answers to the questions that I'm giving you, right? All of this I learned from visions and ceremonies themselves. I didn't have any books that I read about it. I participated in ceremonies for the last uh, 17, 18 years consistently. And through those experiences of sacred plants, I've learned everything that I've been sharing. And, um, you know, I, I think that you just learn to think differently because of that, and that that is foreign at first but ultimately becomes natural and it's actually a very peaceful place to be it's very peaceful to know that you're connected to everyone and everything it's very peaceful to know that the earth is in a great state of evolution and part and parcel of a magnificent galaxy that's also part and parcel of an, an incredible intranetwork of gravity what we call gravity i mean gravity keeps me in the in the chair but it's what we call it it's this force and i think that understanding that is uh, very peaceful and what i've tried to do over the years while i deal with on a daily basis you know as an entrepreneur and as a ceo and as a shaman and ceremonies and people and the totality of my life and all the many hats that i wear is try to maintain that expanded state of imagination to know that as body i'm just right here but as part of this universe, I'm interconnected to all of those galaxies and all of those planets and all of those stars. And it, uh, it makes me ask that question, what's the universe doing with all of those other billions and billions of planets? If it's doing all of this magnificence with Earth and all of this dynamic expression of life, you know, I don't think all the rest of the planets are just void of life at all. I think we are the totality of life and that uh, there's other life going on in many different ways just simply because of how many galaxies there are and just the unbelievable numbers of stars and planets. And uh, I think the interconnection of all of that is, is 
life itself. And I think without any one aspect of it, it wouldn't be life. I think life would, would disappear. And instead, we have this eternal expression of life and this ever rejuvenating expression of life in the form of life constantly growing and also dying and the universe expanding and contracting. And that all of that is ultimately in a state of great harmony, even though we as a species are still in this state of uh, war. You know, I think that that war is ultimately a manifestation of our own fears. I think we are creating it ourselves and that when we evolve to be able to be in a place of balance between the brain and the heart and acceptance for life and all the different uh, expressions that consciousness bring, we're going to be able to do something about it. Beautiful, man. Again, very well said. I'm not even going to add anything on because I just want to keep asking you questions. So there's a few more. I'll let you go because I won't, I won't keep you all day, but I could, man. I'd like throwing questions at you and hear what you have to say. They're very wonderful answers. Um, I'm curious about all of these ceremonies that you've done. Like, you know, what do you think the main um, lessons you've learned are for you? And then also some people refer to, you know, ayahuasca as the mother planet earth. And do you feel like from doing the ceremonies, being so close to the plants and other elders, is there a message either the indigenous people want to get to the world or the plant wants to get to the world? Uh, yeah, I mean, I definitely think there's a, a message about the interconnectedness and about consciousness itself and the totality of the expression of that consciousness to be something more than what we believe to be the isolation. Uh, the plants are in an ever experience with uh, the humans in a symbiotic relationship. And it was explained to me because I asked, like, why would the plants care about humans at all, you know? And they simply said that without the humans, they can't express themselves. They can't express their medicine. They can't express their consciousness more than just being the plant. And uh, that really resonated with me, that there was a symbiosis that was taking place, and that in that symbiosis, the plants and the humans were intermeshed in consciousness, and that it was something that we as a, a population would ultimately awaken to over time. And then in terms of my own experience, and learnings, really they're in a state of universal understandings, the universality of life itself, the universal expressions of humanity and the heart, the need for the heart to be in a state of openness and balance with the brain and mind to be able to, to ultimately live the totality and fulfillment of the consciousness that we have to accept way beyond what we currently know. We need to change our understandings of the deterministic concepts of science and the universe to being one of tremendous exploration and invention again. I think that the scientific revolution has been amazing in terms of all of the technologies that we've created, but it didn't bring with it the understanding of the impact that those were going to have on the planet itself and all of the other species in life. And uh, we're now seeing the effect of that in different forms, especially climate change. And I think without a second scientific revolution or a second great birth of ingenuity and invention, that we're in a pretty precarious and, and dangerous place. And so I think that, uh, you know, we need to open up again to the idea that there's, there is learning to be done way beyond that of our own sciences, way beyond that of our own current mythologies, way beyond that of what uh, we understand as a collective whole, and, and not be so egoically fixated on thinking that we figured everything out. I don't think we figured everything out. I think we're only scratching the surface on what there is to learn. And if given enough time, we're going to be able to develop the solutions that we ultimately need for the planet, for the species, for ourselves, and to ultimately create a much more harmonious society. 
Amazing. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And so in that note, I'm curious, uh, what do you think, you know, if you could influence or change one thing planet wide, or a few things like it, whether it's principles, or you would change one thing on the planet to bring us closer to um, was it Robert? No, not so. Who's the guy who talked about uh, civilizations like a, a, a type one civilization, type two, type three, type four? You know what I'm talking about? I've heard of it, but yeah, I, yeah. Yeah. So, so I'm, I'm sure a lot of, a lot of listeners are going to pop it up in the comments somewhere, but essentially um, what I was told from the elders, uh, all three of them actually is like the next big leap for our um, civilization, the humans is peace. And I'm curious, um, you know, what do you think mm. that could change on the planet right now? Or if you could influence, what would you do to have the greatest positive impact to put us towards a more, uh, let's say peaceful or evolved society? Make that our intention, change our intention from being uh, individual growth oriented, self-absorbed expressions of humanity to a much greater collective understanding of who we are, uh, so much so as an individual and so much so as a collective group. I thought that if we understood our true importance on society, not as individual attainment, but as an expression of philanthropy and ultimately caring fundamentally about the totality of society, that we would achieve that. And that uh, societies themselves have been defined by this uh, ability to separate land masses and the, the frontiers from each other. And now we're in a city-state political map where everything's locked down with borders. And we have to accept that because of that, we have fundamentally come to a state of globalized existence where that globalization needs to ultimately become harmonious between the individuals. And then through that, I think the other institutions will understand that in that harmony, there's less need to be so aggressively protecting of resources and, uh, and individual structures or individual cultures themselves. And so I think it's part of our evolution. And I think if we set that intention collectively to have a more peaceful society, then we'll create it ourselves. Just like you told people that you're, they're more powerful than the entity. I think collectively uh, we're more powerful than fear and anger and hatred and uh, all the things that ultimately create the, the pain and difficulties that are experienced around the world, especially in the form of war. And that we can bring peace simply by recognizing that we have the power to create it within ourselves and then share that with others. Holy crap, man. Just on point again. I'm just, I'm just lobbing them and just hitting them out of the park, man. This is fantastic. <laughs> just, <laughs> just keep going. Another beautiful answer. So I guess Thank you. the next, the next follow-up will be, what do you recommend as an individual? Just, you know, if you had a, a kid or you had like five minutes with your younger self or, you know, youth, something but you like these are my top like either um two or three ideas or philosophies or one thing to help you just live uh, a good life to be able to navigate this existence this consciousness with whatever your background is the struggles from what you've learned what do you think would be uh some of your top tips for that idea i think creativity to open to creativity and be ever understanding that we're going to continue learning forever. And it's not about the attainment of adulthood in a single role or position in an identified role with that archetype or that position. 
that, uh, you know, we don't stop learning and that learning is available to us forever. And that if we continue to learn forever, then we can continue to expand in our intelligence and expand in our consciousness. And uh, that's what I would share with anybody, including the youth, that this idea of just school is a very limited concept on learning and that we need to be open to learning and the creative expressions found within that learning literally forever. I find that adults become very ossified and almost exoskeletal in their own fear and their own identities and that that needs to be shed to be able to awaken that childlike nature again and that, that intuitive desire to learn and that creative expression and to ultimately foster that in our children and foster that in ourselves and we can simply do that by being open to it setting intention and then making the changes in our lives to have those experiences to allow ourselves an artistic creative expression to allow ourselves the ability to draw and paint to allow ourselves the ability to uh, imagine and uh, be creative in our thoughts to be able to bring that to our meditations and our spiritual practices and to understand that the rigidity around uh, cultures themselves are not the ultimate barrier or limitation to our own intelligence and our own creativity and our own growth. And I think when we really embrace that creativity and our ability to grow, that then we see that we are of this ever-creating universe and we are ever-creating ourselves and that we have the ability to make an incredible influence and impact on ourselves, our lives, our families, and the people around us in incredibly positive ways by being open to everybody else of the mind. As the mind expands collectively, like the great collective mind, not just my mind or your mind, but the general uh, totality of the concepts and thoughts that we have, it allows us more tools to be able to continue to grow and that every new thought is ultimately an expression of that creative burst, like another big bang and it's happening in the, the universe and it's a new thought. It's never been thought before and people have said all thoughts have been had before and I fundamentally don't agree with that concept. I would tell uh, the children that the, to keep being creative through the totality of their life and to expand their imagination in a form of training their imagination, to do activities that actually bring training to the imagination, not just uh, fantasy, but actually utilizing the imagination in other forms, meditative ways, spiritual practices that allow them that newness and to step outside of that, that rigid ossification that ultimately strips that away and makes life very monotonous. Wow. Incredible, man. Um, I, you know, I was going to wrap it up, but I'm going to throw one bonus question first. <laughs> stop giving me such good answers. I'm going to stop asking questions. So what, what would you recommend for either a person struggling? Um, they want to have a shift or they're like, they're in the nine to five and maybe it's okay, but they're a bit frustrated or the person who's, you know, their life sucks and, and they need a change and they, and they don't know what to do. And, and what, what piece of advice would you give to those people? Oh, the advice is simply to to embrace change. Like they're in a repetition and they're stuck. And so we need change and change is going to create fear. And the moment we try to embrace that, there's all the what ifs and the unknown. And um, at that point, I like to tell people, give it to the unknown universe. The amount of the universe that we know is so small. 
And I fundamentally don't believe that the universe made a mistake creating us. I think every single individual life is a form of a divine gift and a form of reincarnation of the species itself and a continued uh, growth and that we have to step away from that encapsulization and fear and get out of that stuckness by embracing something so much greater than what we think we know. And it's not even what we know, it's what we think we know. And so go in a meditation, lie down in bed, pray, do whatever you do to connect with what I'm calling the unknown universe or that totality of force beyond that of what people have figured out so far in our evolution and trust in that, trust in the connection that you are made of it, that you are part of it, that it's something that you are innately capable of doing. It is, it's a natural aspect of the heart and the brain and the mind. And if you can have a thought, then you're already tapped into it. If you have mind, you're tapped into it. If you're stuck in a rut, you're tapped into it. We just want to tap into it in an entirely new way. So give yourself the best opportunity of how to do that, whether it's just a, a something that's changing your mindset, like a hot shower or an Epsom salt bath, or if you can go float, or if you can participate in a, a you know, really high quality professional sacred plant ceremony. Give yourself literally the best help in being able to, to get into that change. And then in it, contact the unknown universe. Contact the imaginative totality of everything that exists without limiting that. It's an unlimited form of existence. And ask it for the support and help to be able to make those changes in your life. It will help you in every single possible way. And it will give you skills and capacities that you never realized you had before. Oh my God, man. See, bonus question. Those were amazing. Thank you. I'm Thank you. <laughs> that was really, that was really on point, man. Well, brother, this has been incredible. You have um, shared such uh, beautiful insights, very deep, very grounded, um, and just really wonderful information. Um, thank you so much for coming on the show. Before we go, um, is there anything that you wish that I had asked or that you want to talk about? And feel free to elaborate as long as you wish. Not really. You know, I think you asked really incredible questions. You've gone deep. I think we've probably, you know, expanded a lot of thinking and a lot of minds on the podcast. Uh, you know, if you want to come visit us, come visit us at bluemorphotours.com. And uh, come have a, a retreat with us. And if you like the thoughts that we're sharing, these are the same thoughts that we share on our retreats. And we're very generous and, and open with what we share with people. And uh, like I said before, embrace that spirit of, of creativity and exploration. And there's, there is never a late moment in deciding that for yourself. It doesn't matter your age. We work with people from all different ages. And, uh, you know, continue to explore life. There's, there's no reason to hold back. Life is an amazing gift and we all share in it together. And I think that negativity can, can overpower, stress can overpower. And uh, together we can make a tremendous impact on that. And if you have something that you can offer the world and a gift that you can offer the world, please do so. Don't be scared of that. And if you can give some time and thinking to green energies and renewability and sustainability, do so because every little bit helps. And the changes that we make are not only for ourselves, but all future generations. And I think that that's really the purpose of the work. I, I myself find it, uh, if I think about human extinction and, and everything coming to an end, there's very little purpose in individual healing. We already know that we're mortal in that sense. 
And so I think we need to be making an impact that's not only as an individual, but also as a collective. And I think our future is, is like I said, a collective understanding of globalization and the renewability of all of our resources and uh, that we can all be in one form or another a participant in that. And it's, it's as much important to share the information as it is to be an innovator, as it is to be part of businesses and institutions and organizations that are working on making that impact. And so if you have a little bit of time or interest, uh, share that with the world and you'll know that you're helping make the world not only better for you and your own family, but also for literally the entire world and, and that that is the evolution that I'm talking about. And it's not a grandiose concept. It's, it's literally step by step and people participating. And it's the focus that we have as a business group and ultimately the focus that we want to, you know, share with the world. And so, again, you know, the idea of sustainability, sustainable food, uh, freedom of creativity and expression and utilizing digital means to share that, I think are all really powerful ideas in today's day and age. And, uh, you know, if you're going to have a, uh, some kind of incredible experience tonight, enjoy it. And if you're feeling like you need a little help, start giving that help to yourself. And that's where it all starts. And that's just the decision to do that. And uh, give yourself five minutes, 10 minutes to make that new decision and give yourself that new course in life. Amazing, man. Amazing. Well, again, this whole thing has been uh, extremely uh, practical, but also mind-blowing. Probably more mind-blowing than practical. I don't know. I felt like it was uh, both, both ends of the spectrum. I really appreciate you, your work, your, your perspectives and philosophies. Uh, thank you so much for coming on. I invite everybody to check out your website and work. Um, it seems like you're running an incredible um, retreat center out there, which I am grateful for maintaining the integrity because I think if you are going to explore plant medicine, integrity cannot be compromised. So thank you for uh, keeping the integrity and in, in what you do and coming on and sharing uh, your work and everything you're up to. Thank you so much. And if there's one more thing, uh, we just launched a new YouTube channel called Source Independent Entertainment. And uh, Source Independent Entertainment is ultimately going to be a decentralized blockchain platform to help digital content creation for global content creators and create a fair market value for the content that they create. And we, as a developmental studio, have created over 500 pieces of music. And we have ceremonial tools, relaxation tools, uh, binaural beats, all different things to help you have these experiences that we're talking about, including uh, Ikaros and ceremonies. And so you can go to Source Independent Entertainment on YouTube and check us out and uh, start seeing that content there and utilizing that content. And I think it'll be tremendously helpful for you. Awesome. Cool. Yeah, I'll check that out, man. I appreciate it. Okay, well, well thank thanks, you very man, much. for coming on. Yeah, thanks for coming on, sharing everything. And uh, thanks, everybody, for watching. Love to get you again. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Uh, it's been a real pleasure. It's great talking to you. Incredible, incredible questions. Thank you so much. <laughs> See you, brother. Bye, guys. Bye. All right, guys. I hope that you enjoyed that episode with Hamilton Souther. I know it was deep and it was mind-blowing. And if you want to help and share this thing and you liked it, take a screenshot, share on your social media, Instagram. Let us know where you're listening. Share on Facebook. All of that stuff is really helpful. Um, podcast reviews, iTunes um, all that stuff is, is really great. I want to thank you guys so much for coming along and listening to these podcasts. Um, 
I'm going to be doing a lot more coaching, speaking, and online courses, uh, trying to find the time to do them. I have them listed out, but uh, finding the time is challenging when uh, getting a lot of uh, guest inquiries. We have some amazing guests coming up for you, so stay tuned. You're going to love it. Uh, I hope that you're doing great today. I'm just going to keep it nice and simple and end it here. So have an amazing day, and before we close it off, just taking a deep breath in through your nose, setting the intention to come to peace and coherence. Letting that breath out slowly and filling every cell and every muscle and every fiber of your being with peace, coherence, love, compassion, gratitude, and empowerment, ready to take on the rest of the day. So have an amazing day, and we will see you in the next episode.